Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with your host, Dr. Anise Chagpar. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a conversation about cancer research with Dr. Faye Rogers. Dr. Rogers is an associate professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine, where Dr. Chagpar is a professor of surgical oncology. Faye, maybe we can start off by you telling us a little bit about yourself and what it is you do. My lab is really interested in studying DNA damage response. Um, There are many different mechanisms involved in preserving integrity of our genomic information. And my lab is really interested in understanding how different pathways within this complex system cross talk with each other to really make sure that our DNA remains intact. Um, And in addition to that, we're really interested in trying to find novel ways to manipulate these different pathways to develop new strategies to treat cancer. And so my background um, is really as a medicinal chemist and really interested in, in studying drug development and finding new ways that we can make an impact in the field of cancer therapeutics. So let's take a step back uh, a bit. Um, so you mentioned that your lab is really interested in looking at um DNA damage and uh, ways of repairing that DNA damage, but you're involved in in cancer research. So is it, um, you mentioned part of uh, what you do is to try to find ways to intervene to come up with new therapeutics, but is it true that cancer is actually a derangement of DNA? And, And so talk a little bit about how cancer develops and why we care about uh, DNA damage and maintaining genomic integrity, as you put it. Yeah, so I'd like to describe DNA repair as a double-edged sword when we talk about cancer. So as we all know, DNA holds the blueprint for all living organisms. It's very important that we maintain its integrity um, in order to preserve life. And so, unfortunately, DNA is not inert, and it's impacted by many different factors that we encounter daily. And if it's these different factors can cause DNA damage, and if left on repair, it can lead to mutations and possibly diseases like cancer. And so the cell and organisms have really developed a very complex repair system to fix this damage so that we can maintain the integrity of our genome. And when DNA repair is not working efficiently, we can have generation of DNA damage that can lead to mutations and eventually cancers. And in addition to that, mutations and proteins essential for these different repair pathways can lead to faulty DNA repair, and this can also initiate cancer. And on the other hand, however, many of the different treatments that we use to treat um, cancer um, work by inducing a lot of DNA damage in order to kill that tumor cell. So because I just explained to you that DNA repair is, is responsible for actually removing these types of damaged lesions, you have this double-edged sword where mutations and DNA damage repair can lead to cancer, but we have been using excessive DNA damage as a means to also treat cancer. 
So for for people who are listening to this, I mean, it certainly sounds like a double-edged sword, but you know, the question that I think is is obvious that people may be asking themselves is, so when you're treating cancer by inducing mutations and by inducing DNA damage, why don't you get more cancers? I mean, how can that act like a cancer therapeutic? Because surely those uh, that damage, unless it is directly targeted only at cancer cells, would potentially cause damage for normal cells too, right? Yes. So that's a really excellent question. So it comes back to one of the things that my lab is studying, where, as I said to you, the cells have really developed this intricate, complex repair system that one pathway talks to the other. And so one of the pathways, if a cell is experiencing excessive DNA damage, it can then choose if it can't effectively repair that damage, to activate something that we call apoptosis, which is a mechanism that cells can activate in order to kill or cause its own death. And so many cancer treatments try to manipulate and use this strategy by causing excessive DNA damage that will cause the tumor cell to um, activate its own cell death. And so that comes to your other part of your question in which you're asking, wouldn't it be really important to have that damage specifically within the tumor cells? And that's actually very correct. In order to preserve normal cells and normal tissue, you would like to develop strategies in which you can specifically create this damage in the tumor cells so that the tumor cells will cause its own cell death. Because clearly, if you were just to, you know, create excessive damage and one of the pathways is for cells to apoptose or or cause their own death, normal cells could do that too. So how do we, how do we do that? How do we make sure that the damage that we are causing with these therapeutics um, is targeted more so at cancer cells than normal cells? So there are many different strategies to go about um, doing this. One strategy would be to develop um, delivery systems that will only deliver the drug to tumor cells. Another strategy would be to find differences between the normal cell and the cancer cell so that this type of damage induction would only affect the tumor cells to cause it to activate apoptosis while the normal cells that have intact DNA repair systems can handle whatever damage you might have. And so that's kind of a strategy that we've been using in our lab, where we have been using a strategy to cause excessive DNA damage only within the cancer cell, while a normal cell can process any minimal damage that it might experience. So how do we know that cancer cells don't have a a DNA repair mechanism themselves where they can repair their own damage and presumably live on. Um, One would think that cancer cells want to live just as much as normal cells do. Yes. And so that is why we do studies to find out differences between normal cells and cancer cells. So some cancer cells would have repair systems that have defects in it. 
And as a result of those defects, they will choose or have to rely on another repair system um, and become dependent on it in order to maintain itself as a cell. And so as, as scientists, we can find ways in which we can inhibit that particular um, pathway that the cell has now become dependent on. And that's called synthetic lethality, where you selectively target that pathway in which the tumor cell has become dependent on. While in the normal cell, because it has all of its functioning DNA repair system, this will not have an effect on it. So is it the case that every cancer cell has, you know, one or two pathways upon which they're dependent, that they don't have this this complex system of repair that normal cells do where where they can repair damage? Right. So most cancer cells, the... Um, one of the driving factors for them being um, considered cancer and having that growth advantage is because there is dysregulation between the balance between all of these different pathways. And so this um, dysregulation of the balance causes them to have either growth advantages so um, and then become dependent on other pathways in order for them to be able to grow um, aggressively. And so, you know, that 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 then makes more sense because as these cancer cells are growing so rapidly and, you know, taking on uh, just this very rapid cycle of turning over, uh, that they can sometimes uh, not be as careful in terms of in terms of the way in which they replicate and, and making sure that they're catching potential mistakes and so on just um, putting it into simple terms. Um, so how is it that you as scientists can figure out which pathways particular cancer cells are dependent on versus others? So um, a lot of, of work has gone into trying to understand what actually drives cancers. Um, this can be done from using many different scientific techniques so that one can have different profiles for different cancer subtypes. Um, some cancers um, will be able to have growth advantages because they have um, extra copies of proteins that give them growth advantages. Other tumor cells might have um, growth advantages, as we talked about, because they have mutations in different repair pathways. And a lot of these um, different characterizations can happen through sequencing um, to learn changes that have occurred in the different cancer cells so that we can characterize the different pathways that are dysregulated so that it gives the tumor cells some kind of growth advantage. And having this information can then allow us to come up with novel ways in which we can specifically target the tumors versus um, while preserving normal tissue. So can you give us an example of, of how that works? And so one example I'll give are would be HER2 positive breast cancers. So HER2 positive breast cancers are cancers that have extra protein for of the HER2 protein. Um, and HER2, which stands for human epidermal growth factor 2, um, is a protein that binds at the cell membrane. This 
gives signals that control cell growth. And so in patients that have, for example, HER2-positive breast cancer, this HER2 protein is overexpressed. And so what that means is that there is more of that protein around that you would find in a normal cell. And so the increase in this protein um, is usually caused by the cell having extra copies of the HER2 gene um, in the cancer um, DNA. And so these extra um, copies get leads to extra protein, which gives the tumor cells the ability to signal and helps them to really keep growing and makes the tumor aggressive. And so this would be um, an example of what would be in the normal, uh, in a, in a, in a HER2 positive breast cancers, while in the normal tissue, traditionally one um, in a normal cell, you would only have two copies of the HER2 um, gene. So you would just have minimal levels of the HER2 protein. And so you would have just regular cell growth. And so this is kind of an example that takes place between the difference between what's in the normal cell, what's in the cancer cell, and the factors that are different and dysregulated that give that tumor cell growth advantage. So we need to take a short break for a medical minute, but when we come back, I'd like to learn more about how you use HER2 and this difference between cancer and normal cells to really start targeting these cells in terms of their growth pathways and this dysregulation of of, uh of cancer repair and um, DNA repair. Please stay tuned to learn more with my guest, Dr. Faye Rogers. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers comes from Smilo Cancer Hospital, presenting the Susan Barris MD Brain Tumor Webinar, May 18th. Register at YaleCancerCenter.org or email canceranswers at yale.edu. It's estimated that over 240,000 men in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer this year, with over 3,000 new cases being identified here in Connecticut. One in eight American men will develop prostate cancer in the course of his lifetime. Major advances in the detection and treatment of prostate cancer have dramatically decreased the number of men who die from the disease. Screening can be performed quickly and easily in a physician's office using two simple tests, a physical exam, and a blood test. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers, such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital, where doctors are also using the Artemis machine, which enables targeted biopsies to be performed. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Faye Rogers. We're learning about the field of cancer research in honor of National Cancer Research Month. And right before the break, Faye was telling us about some of the differences between cancer cells and normal cells, one of which is that Cancer cells um, sometimes have dysregulated DNA repair. They are turning over so quickly that this really becomes a target uh, for anti-cancer therapies. She told us about an example of HER2, uh, HER2 HER2-positive breast cancer, something that many of us may be familiar with, um, where cancer cells 
produce more of this protein called HER2, um, which is different than the normal two copies that's seen in normal cells. So, Faye, I was hoping that you'd pick up the story there and tell us a little bit more about how you use this in terms of cancer therapeutics and in terms of, you know, manipulating the way in which cancer cells versus normal cells repair DNA or recover from damaged DNA um, and, and how you can really target these cancer cells. Yes. So as, as I said, in normal cells, you would only have two copies of, of the HER2 um, gene, while in the HER2 positive, you have all of these extra copies. And so, as I said to you, my lab is really interested in understanding this balance between DNA repair and actually another pathway that's within um, this whole system, the activation of apoptosis or its own cell death. And so one of the things we thought that we could do is to manipulate this balance between repair and activation of cell death while we can have the normal cells choose to activate repair, while we can have the HER2 positive cancer cells choose to activate its own cell death. And how we decided to do that was to um, use DNA damage. And what we did was we designed these molecules that could bind to the HER2 gene and form these different structures, and that these structures would change the um, formation of the regular DNA duplex and that the DNA would then be recognized in this construct as damage. And so when normal cells, the cells have that active DNA repair system, it can repair it and the cells would be fine. While in the HER2 positive, there are many different copies of this HER2 gene, which gives us the opportunity to form many of these altered DNA structures. The cell recognizes it as DNA damage, because it's so much DNA damage, the cell then doesn't have the opportunity to repair it because it doesn't have the repair machinery to do so. And so it chooses its own cell death. And so this gives us the opportunity to really preserve the normal cells while the cancer cells that don't have the repair capacity to really um, effectively repair this DNA damage will choose to activate its own cell death. So uh, a couple of questions. I guess the first question is, um, what do you do for cancer cells that might not express HER2? Um, are, are there other mechanisms to employ a similar strategy, or do you really need to target cancers that are expressing an abundance of a particular protein so that you can hone uh, in on that protein yeah, so that's a really good question. So it turns out that this um, HER2 positive cells that have these extra copies of the HER2 gene is not just restricted to HER2 positive. So um, we call this gene amplification. And um, gene amplification is one of the mechanisms that cancer cells use to be able to give it um, different advantages in order for it to survive. And so this gene amplification actually happens quite frequently um, within cancer development. And actually, there are more than 14 different subtypes of cancers that can have this type of pathway that actually cause them to be cancers. So that gives us the opportunity 
to be able to design these molecules to target other genes outside of HER2 um, that are amplified within cancers. And so it doesn't limit us to only HER2 positive, but we can target many different genes. And from studies that we've done and others um, in the scientific community, they have identified almost close to 500 different genes that are amplified and give growth advantage um, to these different types of tumors. That's great. So, so then the next question is, you know, you mentioned that you, you, as I understand it, the way that this works is that you kind of glom on to the HER2, causing a change in the DNA that is recognized as damage. So tell us a little bit more about um, how that works exactly. I mean, in terms of being a drug that's actually delivered, um, is that something that that can be delivered IV? And is it something that um, just uh, – tell us a little bit more about that. Is it d- about its side effect profile, about its safety? Has that been studied? Yes, yeah, so that's something that's ongoing in our lab right now. And so um, how this works is that we can design these molecules to target specific sequences within the genome. And these are used um, using DNA binding molecules called oligonucleotides, and they can bind in a sequence-specific manner to a specific region of the genome. And once they bind to this region of the genome, they alter the DNA helix And this is recognized as DNA damage by a specific repair pathway called the nucleotide excision repair pathway. And so my lab um, studies that. And what we've been doing um, in different types of studies is to look how we can use this as a, a treatment. We have been using many different types of delivery agents to be able to get this to the tumor, um, looking at it not only from the perspective of having enough um, of the drug getting to the tumor, but also if we can also improve um, um, specificity by targeting using delivery strategies that target the tumor specifically. So that will give us an extra layer of, of, of specificity because not only are we getting specificity on the level of the genome, because these structures will only cause enough DNA damage and, and cell death in the tumor, but also we can then target them specifically to the tumor in addition to that. So that would really minimize the off-target effects and side effects um, to normal tissue and while really increasing the specificity to the tumor itself. And so people like to refer to these types of um, drugs as precision medicine. Mm-hmm. And and so where are we in terms of getting these drugs into patients? Um, is this still preclinical? Is this something that is being studied in animal studies? Or is this actually in clinical trials now? So we have done... Um, um, preclinical, so we're doing animal studies um, and have been able to show that our strategy works very well in not only preventing tumor growth, but actually um, 
causing complete regression. So we're very excited about the studies that we've been able to do so far. We're currently working on different delivery agents to improve our safety profile and making it even more specific to the tumor with hopes that I hope that we will be able to transition this from the bench to the bedside um, and so that we can be able to help patients that suffer from these types of cancers that don't currently right now have an effective um, treatment strategy. Perfect. You know, and and I guess there's a few other questions. One is, um, while it's great to kind of think about uh, delivering this to the tumor itself uh, to limit toxicity to normal tissues, on the other hand, there is something alluring about um, delivering it systemically because, um, as, as we know, cancer cells can be floating all over the body and ultimately it's distant metastases that tend to uh, cause people's fate uh, rather than the local tumor itself. So what are your thoughts on that, having a local therapy versus a systemic one? Yes. So that's a good question. So all of our um, animal studies so far have been through um, systemic delivery. Um, and so we know that we can have therapeutic effects using systemic delivery. Um, when I say improve delivery to the tumor, not necessarily looking at this from perspective of direct um, tumor delivery, as in a ways in which once you administer this systemically, that it is targeted towards the tumor itself. And how do you do that? Is it still by by trying to bind it to HER2? So there are different um, layers to this. One of them would be delivery. And in one of us doing that, to do a delivery system that is specifically uh, targeting to the tumor and people can use um, antibodies and peptides that are specific for um, different tumor types. Um, in addition to that, we also have our specificity where we are only targeting genetic sequences that would bind to overexpress HER2. Um, and so we have the tumors that will have that excessive DNA damage because of all these binding events. and its choice to really activate its own cell death versus the normal tissue that can um, activate DNA repair and minimize toxicity that way. So really to look at specificity and toxicity from many different levels in order to have um, minimal off-target and toxicity events. You know, the other question, when we think about the HER2 story, it's really been tremendous how many targeted therapies have been developed um, as anti-HER2 agents um, in the treatment of HER2-positive breast cancer. So we've seen trastuzumab, we've seen pertuzumab, and, and others are coming down the pike. So these novel therapies that you're looking at in the HER2-positive space, are they synergistic with uh, these other therapies, or are is your thought that they may be uh, something that you would use if other therapies uh, were unsuccessful or, or people recurred after anti-HER2 therapy? Yeah, so that's a very, a very good question. And I think that 
in starting this project, it was really a means to find a novel way to treat HER2 positive um, cancers that were different from the currently used strategies just as a means to target drug resistance. And so I definitely think that we were successful in doing that because our strategy hasn't been to target that overexpressed protein. We've really targeted the overex the amplified DNA. And so looking at that from a genomic level then gives us the ability to then target those tumors that were unresponsive or gained resistance from the targeted therapies that target the protein. So I think for us going at this from a genomic DNA level gives us the opportunity to be a second in line for those patients that have developed um, resistance to currently used um, targeted therapies or were unresponsive. Dr. Faye Rogers is an associate professor of therapeutic radiology at the Yale School of Medicine. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio. Funding for Yale Cancer Answers is provided by Smilo Cancer Hospital.